If you want 2024 to be your best running year, it is essential you have a customized training plan tailored to your race schedule and ability level. That's why I'm pumped to have Motive sponsoring the podcast. You can use the app for free, but if you want two months of premium access, you can use code SMARTER2. Sign up at mymotive.com. The link will be in the show notes. On today's rerun, is a carbon fiber shoe right for me? Welcome to the podcast, helping you train, rehab, and run smarter. When I first started running in my 20s, I knew it would be something I'd be passionate about for the rest of my life. But unfortunately, developing injury after injury disrupted my progress and left me undertrained at the start line on race day. Even with my knowledge as a physio, I still fell victim to the vicious injury cycle and when searching for answers, struggled to decipher between common running myths and evidence-based guidance. That's what this podcast is here to help you with. So join me as a Run Smarter Scholar and let's break the injury cycle by raising your running IQ and achieving running feats you never thought possible. I know two episodes ago, I told you I'd keep you updated on um, my expected child, my daughter, and last episode was just my pre-recorded intro, um, essentially because I had no time to redo an intro and I was in hospital because Megan was discharged on the Sunday, like the day before the episode came out, um, because we have a daughter. Little Mackenzie was born on the 22nd and I want to say a big thanks to everyone who sent in their support on Facebook. Um, I put it up on my personal page as people do, um, alongside Megan and (laughs) our dog Jasmine. And, um, not only were my friends and family, like a lot of comments and congratulations and well wishes, but a lot of you podcast listeners reached out and said, congratulations. So, um, that's very heartwarming. Thank you very much for all your kind words and all of your support. Um, you know, it goes to show that this really is a family. Um, uh, yeah, it, it warms my heart to know that you, care enough to, to reach out and um, send some well wishes. So Mackenzie's doing very well. My partner, Megan, also doing very well. Um, I am recording this intro in between feeds. <laughs> We're working in my life revolves around a three hour um cycle on repeat because that's how often we're feeding and prepping and all that sort of stuff. And so little Mackenzie's sleeping at the moment for the next 45 minutes. So quickly going to record this intro and then bring you this next rerun. Um, Before we do that, let's welcome um, two new patrons who have jumped on board. We have Kim who signed up for the PhD tier and we have Jen who's upgraded from the graduate tier into the honors tier. So um, thanks for your support, everyone. Um, if you are interested, the links are in the show notes. If you do want to get exclusive podcast episodes, if you want regular chats with me, online course content, all the benefits, um, you can go to the link. It's not on the app. I know a lot of people have been messaging me saying, I'm trying to find the the tiers. I can't find them on the Run Smarter app. Um, you do need to go to the website. I will be um, putting a link into the app sooner rather than later because of all the feedback I have been getting. But at the moment, it is on the website if you want to check it out and see what, if any, tier might be um, beneficial for you. 
We have Simon Bartold. Like I said, this is a rerun. So this was in July 2020 when I first interviewed Simon, but a great, fascinating episode and carbon fiber shoes are still a hot topic. So I know you will love this, whether you listen to it three years ago or whether um, you haven't and are just really curious. And he is uh, the top of the chain when it comes to advice. Um, I don't want to repeat myself too much because I know I'm going to play you the intro of that episode, but he's just world renowned and it was a blessing to have him on. Um, Let's dive into it. So hopefully you enjoy and um, I'll go back to fatherhood duties. Simon Bartold is the master of running and shoes and just knowing the science. He's worked with a lot of big brands uh, in the past and definitely knows his stuff on the make of a shoe, how a shoe performs, what are the different characteristics of a shoe. And watching his content for the last couple of years, a lot of his talks have been on the carbon fiber plate shoes. And I'd love... I'd, I, it was an honor to have him on, and although I didn't want to do a topic that he's probably done over and over and over again, um, he was more than happy to come on, discuss, and talk it with such passion, and uh, really admire that. I did ask some questions, or I posted some questions if um, anyone wanted to uh, ask Simon something, so thanks to Matt for asking a couple of questions, Dave and Tony. Um, the, the question sort of revolved around what type of shoes or other carbon fiber shoes good for long runs or potentially trail runs or track, are they a replacement for track shoes, those kind of things, um, how to best, um, utilize them. Should we be swapping them out with other shoes? Should we be, uh, using them just all the time or only for our long runs, um, only for short time trial stuff? Uh, what's the best value for a carbon plate shoe because they do get very expensive and um, what would be around so some like injury specific stuff uh, such as like big toe arthritis or any other sort of running injury conditions that the carbon fiber shoe might help with Um, so we discuss all that today we discuss obviously Simon's background a little bit um, his career and then we dive into like what are the mechanics, what's actually working when it comes to the fiber, the carbon fiber shoe, um, and practically what it's doing, what are the sort of tangible benefits someone might have, who could best benefit from it. Is it the recreational runner? Or is it more of the top end athlete? Uh, how to best transition from these type of shoes? And then, yeah, just those questions um, asked by the, the public, by Matt, Dave and Tony. So, Um, You guys are really going to love this one. I actually learned a lot when it comes to who is, um, who this shoe is best for. And yeah, it's going to help me moving forward with my knowledge and giving out advice. So hopefully you learn a lot as well. Um, Yeah, I think that's all we need to discuss. Oh, Simon is, for those who don't know, he is a podiatrist and he is from Adelaide in Australia, but he has um, worked in France and worked all around the world with these big shoe companies. So um, it's always good having a, a guest who is on another health professional discipline. So I um, always love having podiatrists on. Yeah, let's get started. I think I've said enough. Let's enjoy and let's listen to the legend that is Simon Bartold. It is an absolute honor to have you on. I've been following your stuff for a very long time and a lot of the the recent presentations that I've uh, listened to have been 
around these carbon fiber shoes. And it is something that uh, a lot of my listeners like ask questions about and want to know about. And I'm pretty, um, uh, I'm, I'd say my level of expertise isn't quite there with this topic. So um, there wouldn't be a better person in the world to talk about this. So um, thanks for coming on to the Run Smarter podcast. Thanks very much, Brody. Yeah, I'm not sure that anybody really knows a lot about these shoes in <laughs> a brand new category, but we're trying, we're trying our hardest to understand what they're all about. But it's a pleasure to be here with you today. And uh, yeah, we should have a bit of fun. Brilliant. Can we start with just a, um, an introduction into your expertise and a little bit about your background and how you've got to the space that you're in right now? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm actually by, by trade, I'm a podiatrist and um, I worked in clinical sports medicine for many years. So I've always um, had an athlete only care practice. But uh, a long time ago, I got approached by a bloke um, who was repping for ASICS at the time in Adelaide. And uh, he, I'd been shooting my mouth off actually about football boots and saying how, how crap I thought they were. And he basically said, well, put your money where your mouth is and come and help me design one. And I did that with uh, with ASICS and that was the start of a 25-year relationship with them, really. And um, ultimately, I ended up being, I had the grandiose title of International Research Coordinator. So my job was to act as a, um, a consultant to ASICS and to coordinate all the research program, medical research programs for um, the universities we dealt with around the world. So the idea basically was to try to come up with a, a research question that related to specifically injury in runners, and then to take it to a university um, and and kick that into gear as a proper research project. And the reason I wanted to do that, Brody, was basically um, I wanted to get it external from ASICS. You know, ASICS is no different to any other company. They want to try to uh, get the right answers for the questions. And I basically wanted to look at it from the correct way, which is to ask a research question and get an answer, which may not necessarily suit the uh, marketing protocol of the company. So that, that was that. And um, yeah, I did that for a long time. And then uh, I went back into clinical sports medicine for a while, um, for a, a, about 18 months actually, and uh, fielded a very bizarre telephone call from a man with an outrageous French accent who was asking me to come to a place called ANSI in France, which I'd never heard of, um, to give a lecture to a company called Salomon, who I was aware of because I'm a snow skier. But unbeknownst to me, I was actually having a job interview with them. And when I arrived there, um, they uh, essentially offered me a job on the spot to head up the development of their road running um, program. So they're very, very good at building trail running shoes, but they didn't know how to build road running shoes. And just for you listeners out there who might think they're the same, they're not. It's a little bit like, I don't know, it's a little bit like the difference between Nordic skiing or cross-country skiing and alpine skiing or downhill skiing. Totally different athletes, different equipment, different biomechanics, different dynamics. So there is that much difference between road running and trail running and the footwear has to reflect that. So that, that's a sort of potted snapshot of, of where I've been. I would, I would, I guess, consider myself more a biomechanist than a podiatrist these days because I've been involved in the, the real world of hardcore biomechanics for many years now at a, at a research and innovation level. So that's, that's pretty much my, my little journey. Yeah. And I love to hear that it comes from like you want to take that scientific research background approach and have a, an unbiased result and not just like a marketing driven sort of um, 
answer that you're looking for. So I really, really like that answer. It's really great. Uh, we want to talk about carbon fiber, carbon fiber plates. And I thought we might start with just generically, um, what is it and how is it implemented in the shoe and how has it kind of been developed over the recent years? It's a good question. I mean, I think, I think most people think this is something that's terribly new, but it's really not. Um, and it might surprise people to know that, that reasonably obscure companies were actually involved in this long before any of the big players got involved. So <clears throat> the first really serious player in this, in this arena was actually Feeler, um, who are more famous for tennis shoes than running shoes, but they actually built a really good running shoe back in the very late 90s. So a long time ago, we're talking over 20 years ago, that had quite an effective carbon fiber plate. And, you know, the thing about the footwear industry is it's quite incestuous. So everybody knows each other and there's sort of these lines of succession, if you like. And um, one of the very interesting things is that um, Professor Ben O'Neig, who's a very, very well-known figure in um, footwear biomechanics, probably the most revered biomechanist in footwear biomechanics, he was the guy who I guess um, was most involved early on. And he was developing a shoe for the... Olympic Games in Sydney in 2000. They were actually, it was a, a sprint spike. And I had a discussion with him in 1999. And he said, yep, our athlete who was Addo Bolton is going to win the 100 metres gold medal for sure because we've done all this research and we know that he's going to run faster because he's running in a carbon fibre-plated shoe. In fact, he won the silver medal uh, because he happened to be competing against Michael Johnson, who was, you know, Michael Johnson. <laughs> um, so... Um, but, but the interesting thing is that his understudy was a guy called Darren Stefanishin who, who continued the journey with carbon fiber plated shoes. And he, um, his understudy was a guy called, um, uh, called uh, Gao. And Gao was one of the authors of the of Nike Vaporfly 4%. So we've had the succession of scientists who are all interconnected over about 20 years, who've all inputted into eventually what we're seeing now is the the sort of race for the super shoe and well, it's not a race for a super shoe. We've now got a whole new category of super shoes with many players in that, but it's been, it's been a journey over many, many years. And, and I guess in terms of the construction of how they're all put together, well, it changes from shoe to shoe and company to company because some are not full length plates. Some have different geometry, some are angled differently, some are split. So there is quite. You aren't a template. So your training shouldn't be either. The Motive app takes training plans written by the best coaches in the world, then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. It's such a good idea, which is why it is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world and has thousands of age group athletes signing up every month with a near perfect 4.9 star rating. It will even plan triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, and other events if you're branching away from running races. You can use the app for free for as long as you want, with the premium access being just $19.99 per month. But if you use code SMARTER2, you can get two months of full premium access. Sign up through their website, mymotive.com, and make 2024 your best year yet. There's quite a lot of variation in terms of how the shoes are actually put together. And if we're looking at, generically speaking, the, the, the fiber itself, is it just more of a denser foam that's placed in the last of the shoe? No, it's an actual carbon fiber plate. Right. So it's a, it's, it's a separate carbon fiber plate. So 
um, you know, you, you imagine a Formula One car, you know, you see they're, they're covered in carbon fiber. So this is an actual plate that is shaped depending on what the manufacturer wants and that it's inserted between two sandwiches of foam. Um, and that that is what actually provides the stiffening of the shoe and changes the lever behavior of the shoe. But it should be pointed out that right now, the, the current knowledge um, is saying that the carbon fiber plate is possibly not the most important thing in these shoes, that the foams are also super important. So it's not just one component. I mean, in, in athletic footwear, you don't just normally do one thing to a shoe that makes the difference. Um, you know, and when you talk about the first of these shoes, the first famous one, the Nike Vaporfly 4%, the 4% relates to the 4% improvement in efficiency or economy, if you like, for the runner. So they're saying if you wear this shoe and you can exploit it properly, you will be 4% more efficient. When that came out, everybody thought, well, that's a load of bollocks, you know, that can't possibly be. But now there's ample evidence to say that is in fact the case. But when you talk to the people who are involved in the the project, they say, yeah, well, you know, the carbon fiber plate's probably worth um, worth 1% and the foam's probably worth 3% of that total of 4%. So it's about the construction and the way the way the shoe is put together as a whole rather than just one, one particular feature of the shoe. Okay, that explains it really well. And you mentioned uh, the stiffness and you mentioned efficiency. So mechanically, how is it actually helping the runner is it helping them spring forward or is it helping them like absorb load what what are we talking about mechanically well again it's really important to understand that it's a combination of features and we should even perhaps mention the geometry of the shoe so you'll notice that some of these shoes look like a um uh, they look like a a racing cyclist helmet with the pointy bit at the back so the geometry is also really really important because it it affects the biomechanics of the runner but to try to explain how this is split up, so if we if we look at the vapor for the first iteration, the Vaporfly four percent, and we could talk about any of the any of the current shoes, um, New Balance have just re released what a, what looks like it's going to be fantastic shoe. It's called the Fuel Cell RC Elite, and all of these shoes are using very technical foams that are quite different to the foams of the past. So traditionally in athletic footwear, we've used EVA ethyl vinyl acetate. Every shoe pretty much used those. Some would inject a bit of silicon in them, make them either a bit, bit, uh, bit springier or, or, or less springy. But what happened with, um, with the Vaporfly 4% and a lot of these other shoes is Nike used um, a material called PBAX. Now, PBAX is actually a thermoplastic or a TPU, a thermoplastic polyurethane. So the TPUs, they, they developed... Um, um, a technique where they could actually pelletize it and, and turn it into a foam because PBAX is normally the stuff that you make the stud plate of a football boot out of. So it's a rigid plastic, right? But they developed this technique so that they could actually make it into a foam, which they used in the midsole of the shoe. And the advantage of that is it's about 20% lighter than the next best material. And it has about 30% more rebound than the next best foam. So the Nike React foam, which is what, like, sorry, ZoomX foam, which is what is used in that shoe, it returns about 87% of all input energy, 87%. The next best is at about 61. So you can see that the foam is super important because if you have better rebound, then it probably affects things like how fatigued you get during a run. And those guys who saw Elliot Kipchoge um, break the two-hour 
barrier um, in Vienna, you know, you'd see him running across the line and he's jumping and he's going across to his wife and he's beating his chest. And he looks like he could run another 42 Ks, no problems at all. He didn't look fatigued. So these foams are probably helping with that. What the carbon fiber plate does is it probably changes the lever action of the shoe a bit. So people are saying it acts like a spring. It doesn't act like a spring at all. It acts more like a lever. So if you can change the, um, the lever action of the shoe, um, then you, you will get a mechanical advantage of the shoe um, over, the, over the foot. So that's probably where the carbon fiber plate fits in. Okay. And you're looking at, so returning a lot of, returning more energy than say a traditional shoe, which would then lead to a more efficient run. And if, where, if I am imagining like putting a plate in a shoe, my thought would be to, it might act like a spring. And if someone was running, say on their, like a four foot strike, it would kind of act like a, a trampoline kind of like rebound and recoil and spring you forward. That was my first impression of this type of shoe. But uh, when looking into or listening to people like yourself, it seems like the heel runners are the, the heel strikers, I should say, are the ones that are kind of getting most of the advantage because that's when it acts more as a lever. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. So it categorically doesn't act as a spring. So we should we should put that to bed. Anybody who's who's believing it acts like a spring, that's 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 not the case at all. And it's a real conundrum because most people um, would consider that elites and super elites are mostly midfoot or forefoot strikers, although that is not the case. But the truth of the matter is that with most of these shoes with the full length carbon fiber plates, you will get a better advantage um, and you can exploit the carbon fiber plate better if you if you strike at the heel um, and, and obviously propel off the end of your big toe. So you, you will get a better action of it. But just to sort of try to explain um, the energy return point of view, if people are wondering, so people are thinking, yeah, okay, so you strike the ground and, uh, you know, and, and the foams uh, absorb that energy and return it. So again, this is not a spring-like action, but what happens here is that when you, when you strike the ground, you get an impact, right? And the impact generates a shockwave through your system. So I think everybody can understand that pretty easily. And the shockwave, if you did not somehow um, reduce that shockwave, it would propagate all the way through your, through your body, up through your ankles, through your knees, through your hips, all the way up to your, uh, to your head, and if it was not somehow reduced, then you would fall over because it would severely interrupt your eyesight and it would shake your brain and it would affect your hearing as well. So the body has natural mechanisms to what we call attenuate this input um, uh, shockwave. And the way you do it is through muscle contraction and through the vibration of your organs. Um, and what that does is it absorbs the shockwave just like a sound wave is absorbed in a soundproof booth okay with panels and what have you but the problem here is that if you are reducing the impact by muscle contraction of course over a period of time you're going to get fatigued so if you can build a shoe that reduces somehow that input shockwave then you have less requirement for the muscles to contract so you don't get as fatigued so that's the real ace in the hole here, Brody, that somewhere along the line here, something quite extraordinary is going on where these shoes are somehow dramatically affecting this input shockwave in a way that's never been done before in running footwear. 
Yeah. Wow. That's a fantastic way of explaining it. Uh, I think anyone can kind of get that analogy. Um, so that's fantastic. Is there, if we're talking about like tangible results and looking at a runner who is wearing the shoe compared to a traditional shoe, are we seeing faster times? Are we seeing like the athlete themselves feeling better, feeling faster, feeling more efficient? Um, and is it really uh, like getting tangible results? Or well, to give you an idea, um, you know, and I, and I don't want to continue to talk about Nike because there's other great product out there, but the the last five world records have all been broken in one of the the Nike Vaporfly 4% family. So either in the 4%, the next percent or the Alphafly, the last five world records. Um, now, the thing here is that these records are not, not just being broken, they are being smashed. Um, in a level that we've never seen in the history of distance running. So, um, you know, the women's world marathon record um, was was broken by several minutes. And it was a record, Paula Radcliffe's record. It's a record that had stood for many, many years. Normally, when you break a world record, you expect to see broken by a few seconds. We're seeing these records broken by a minute or two minutes or three minutes, in some instances, four minutes. I was talking to Alex, Alex Hutchinson recently, who's a really well-renowned sports scientist, and he was telling me about a, a guy who's on the cusp of um, being super elite, and he reduced his marathon time wearing one of these shoes by eight minutes. Oh. I mean, that is that is absolutely unprecedented, and it's it's really interesting because it feeds in a number of other issues that we have to ask. Um, quite unpalatable questions i guess but you have to you have to wonder whether the shoe for some athletes is acting as a bit of a smokescreen in other words we know the shoes are fast we know they're improving times but when you see these really big differences in time are we maybe seeing that these athletes are getting a little bit of help from something else as well yeah <laughs> so, um you know there there is this possibility that the shoe because it's 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 obviously making such a change um, are some of the some of the people you know also um, are they uh, are they using uh, uh, other methods to improve their times and and the answer to that may well be yes that could be happening. Yeah, I think that's uh, another debate along with like the shoe. Actually, is it having an unfair advantage for a lot of people? Is um, I think another can of worms that we might open another day. But um, are we seeing similar world records being broken in shorter distances? No, at the moment, at the moment, the the records are pretty much limited to the marathon distance, and this is what makes me think that fatigue is probably the the real the real issue here. That I think the shoe is able to really allow the athlete to remain fresher for a much longer time. I mean, usually when you see guys breaking world record in the marathon, they look like they're about to die as they cross the finish line. You know, they look absolutely spent. We're, we're consistently not seeing that with these shoes, so we're seeing guys who are really bouncing over the line, but. Um, I think um, we may well see some changes in, actually, I shouldn't say we're not seeing those changes. We've seen changes in, in Ironman and triathlon. Um, we have seen some changes in uh, some of the shorter distances, but by far the major effect we're seeing is, is over the marathon distance. Okay. Yeah. And where it could be a nice segue to talk about the elites and um, if there's any, 
additional benefit for recreational runners because what when I'm thinking about elite, I'm thinking they're trying to look for the the one percenters that are going to get them like the best return, and you know that additional one percenters can be uh, the difference between gold medal or world record or um, finishing fifth. So, is there uh, the similar effects if a recreational runner wanted to try and improve their marathon time? Uh, probably not is the answer. Um, there, you, you do have you do have to have adequate technique to be able to exploit these shoes properly, um, and you probably also have to have adequate strength to exploit them properly. Um, I, I think a lot of recreational runners are experiencing some um, improvement in their times with these shoes. But I, I'm a little bit suspicious that there may well be a little bit of a placebo effect here as well. So we, I'm sure we're not seeing that with the super elites. You know, they are running faster because of the shoe. And there's, I think there's just no doubt that that is the case. But I think with the recreational runners, you know, if, you, if you're told that you're going to run 4%, more more economically by wearing the shoe you go and buy a shoe the likelihood is that um you may you may well run a bit quicker and that is the placebo effect but the general money is that these shoes are aimed very squarely at people who are very good runners um i actually just wrote an article this morning on my website on the new fuel cell um uh rc elite the new um as yet to be released new balance shoe and, you know, you can look at that shoe and see how it's put together and, and you know that it's very squarely aimed at the pointy end of the running community. Um, and I think the average runner will find it quite quite difficult to run in, actually. Okay. If if we're continuing on with this recreational population, um, you did mention also that there are a ton of different plates and different type of shoe geometry and that kind of stuff that's um, already out there on the market. But, like... Generally speaking, if you, how would you practically use this shoe? Uh, would it be flat roads? Would it be greater distances? Would it be to use all the time or just to swap out with other shoes? Um, is there a certain uh, way that we can best utilize this shoe? Uh, well, well, I'd answer that initially by saying I don't, I don't think this is a shoe that I personally would be recommending to a novice runner um, or, or to just your weekend warrior. I think they've got better options. Um, I mean, when you've got to balance up the question between what's what's the most important feature, is it protection or is it performance? For the elites, it's all performance. For a novice runner, we, we, we've got a pretty fair inkling that protection is more important to them because they don't have the technique or the style. Um, they're often struggling with, um, you know, they're, they're quite deconditioned. So there are often people like me who sat in front of a computer for, days on end and uh you know they're, they're just not conditioned for running so the the key issue for those people is to protect them and there are very good shoes on the market that will help with that the key issue for um for an elite performer is they want to go faster so that's where a carbon fiber shoe will help them um for those athletes who are wearing the carbon fiber shoes should they be wearing them all the time i think the answer is probably not i mean one important thing here brody is that we're we're not quite sure whether there might be there's a there's a there's a bit of a suspicion that there might be a downside to some of these shoes as well because what they do is they change the mechanics of some of the major joints in the foot so they, they definitely change the power output at your big toe joint and um, <clears throat> we're just not quite sure if you're changing basically if you're changing the mechanics in one joint it has to go somewhere else it doesn't just go away so it, it gets shifted to another joint 
And one of the things that we're not sure about here is what is going to be the long-term consequence of this? And the answer is no one's got a clue. We just don't know. But we do know these changes are being made. So I think to use the shoe all the time would probably be counterproductive. And I would probably be looking at doing the longer training workload in, in a different type of shoe and saving these shoes for race day. And if we're, if someone, I think a lot of the, the listeners who have listened to past episodes that know that if you're doing anything that's an acute change, it does increase your risk of injury because it does shift certain loads. And if it's definitely a different style of shoe, different type of shoe, and the loads are shifting, if the body isn't accustomed to that, or if you're exceeding your capacity to adapt, then it increases the risk of injury. If someone is a recreational runner and they've got these new shoes and they want to try them out, um, is there a possible increase in risk of injury if they're not transitioning uh, the shoe appropriately? Yeah, I think the answer across the board for any shoe is yes, there is that there is that absolute risk. So, you know, if you're you need to you need to um, view change as a runner with great suspicion. So, if you're uninjured and you decide you want to change the way you run, I would suggest that that's something you need to think carefully about because changing your your gait pattern or you know what we call gait retraining in an uninjured runner is fraught with danger. Um, I mean, you adapt to a particular pattern of running, which you learn when you're very young, probably when you're about 18 months old, and it's pretty hardwired in your brain, and it's quite hard to change. If you're injured, it changes the rules. Of course, you need to look at whatever you can do. But if you're not injured, then basically, um, I would recommend against changing that. Same thing with footwear. Um, you know, if you want to make a particularly a gross change or a wholesale change, and the great example here is people who decided to experiment with barefoot running or minimalism. There's absolutely nothing wrong with running barefoot or running a minimalist shoe, but there's plenty wrong with making a sudden change to that because you just can't adapt. Um, so it's the old, what I've just said, you know, you change the way you run, you change the load through the joints and those loads don't go away. They go somewhere else. So for example, we know for a fact that if you wear a traditional shoe, so let's say a 10 millimeter um, stacker, a 10 millimeter drop. Um, we know that increases the load on your knee, but it decreases the load on your Achilles tendon. If you reverse that and you go into a minimalist shoe, we know that it decreases the load on your knee and it increases the load on your Achilles tendon. Now you can exploit this if you're smart. You know you can you can actually say, right, well, if I've got a persistent um, knee injury, especially around the kneecap then I can go into a shoe with much less drop and that will reduce the load on my knee. And that's established by science. We know that's what happens. But you have to factor in that it also will increase the load on your Achilles tendon, so you need to be careful. And you probably need somebody like you, a physio, to monitor this and make sure that this is all being done in the correct manner. And it can work very, very well. But the, the bottom line is you do need to treat change with great caution as a runner. Yeah. And I think it ties in really well. I had an episode um, last week with a guy named Matt and we, the discussion was using shoes as a tool. And if you have to shift load somewhere, or if you have to manipulate your, um, the muscle mechanics and those sort of things that uh, shoes can actually do that. Um, and we talked about certain conditions where it might be advantageous for um, certain shoe characteristics, which um, ties in really well with this. I did have a listener who actually has like big toe arthritis and was wondering if these sort of carbon fiber plate shoes might be of benefit. But um, I think you 
briefly mentioned before that it actually increases the requirements at the big toe joint. Was that right? Yeah, I'm going to be really, I, I would be cautious about wearing this sort of shoe if you've got arthritis in your big toe joint. A far more sensible option would probably be to look at something like um, a shoe with a, uh, a very substantial non-plated rocker, so something like a Hoka. Um, though those shoes, there's no scientific evidence for it, but anecdotally, there's tons of information saying that these shoes work really well for people who have first MPJ or big toe joint pain. And you know, the the uh, the logics behind that are, are pretty robust. So obviously, if you've got a rocker shoe, then you're going to take the load away from the big toe joint. And that can help a lot in people who've got pain in their big toe joint. Great. And if we're looking at shifting load with the carbon fiber plates, can you see any conditions where there might be like an advantage to wearing this type of shoe? Um, personally, I don't. I think that I think this is a performance product. So this is this is the Formula One car in the paddock, mate. Um, you know, we could all drive around in a Hyundai i30, or we could all drive around in a Formula One car. Not everybody can drive a Formula One car. Not everybody should drive a Formula One car. And um, you know, they're they're a very specific piece of equipment. I, I see this being the case with these shoes that they really are designed with a particular athlete in mind, with a particular purpose in mind, and they're definitely not for everybody. I can't personally conceive of a circumstance where I would use this shoe to treat an injury. Yeah, that's a very well put. I, I don't think um, I don't think I'd be wanting to drive an F1 car either. The um, <laughs> the the um, performance side of things, and it seems like the very elite top end for performance is the takeaway message here. Um, and you did mention there are different types of carbon fiber shoes. Um, is there any one, like when it comes to the different products that are out there, um, is there one that might best suit a different type of runner or a different type of situation? Uh, look, the simple answer is we don't know. Um, one of the problems we've got at the moment is there's only really one family of shoes that have had any sort of scientific scrutiny and that is the that's the nike family that started with the vaporfly four percent and are currently at the alpha fly so all of those shoes have had pretty extensive um, published research on them basically none of the other shoes in this category um, have had any published research on them yet so they're all quite different um and and they they times they have a different application some of them have um, carbon fiber plates that, that are not flat they have a slight twist to them some of them have carbon fiber plates that are that are split some of them have plates uh, that don't go full length but the problem is we don't have any hard data on on uh, or comparative data on how these these shoes differ uh, in their effect on the athlete so at the moment uh, until we start those studies start trickling through and I'm sure they will um, we don't really have an answer to that question, unfortunately. I wish we did because I'm personally quite interested in that. Yeah. And if I do have a lot of questions coming in about the the price of the shoe and if there's any like best value type of shoes, uh, mainly for recreational runners. But I guess the, the overarching message, like I say, is probably for the elite top end type of performance. But um, from what you know about the products and the different type of shoes that are out there, 
would you suggest any particular type of carbon plate shoe based on like the value and based on price? No, look, that, that's a really interesting question because it, it, it sort of points to a much bigger issue and that is the assumption that you might be able to make a recommendation um, fairly generally, which I, I'm quite opposed to that concept. So it's like when any, anybody asks me what's the best shoe, the answer is there isn't one. Um, the best shoe is the, is the shoe that's going to work best for that individual athlete. So it's the old story that, you know, um, <laughs> different runners react differently to different shoes on different terrain and different circumstances. There's a lot of difference in there. <laughs> so you, you, cannot, you cannot make one um, global or homogenous recommendation about footwear across the board, whether it's got a carbon fiber plate in it or not. There is no answer to that question. It's completely athlete specific. And that's where it gets difficult because the athlete is starting to travel into very murky territory where things are starting to get very complicated, very technical, very sophisticated. And it's sometimes quite hard to make the right choice. So do you just automatically go to the Nike product because they're first across the line and they've got the research data there? Or do you go something um, to, uh, some, to something like the Sketches product, which is, uh, you know, by far the lightest show on of this this category. It's only 190 grams for a sample size. So the answer to the question is, well, if I was trying to answer this question, Brady, I'd say, I don't know until I've had a look at you. I need, to, I need to have a look at you. I need to find out what your goals are. I need to figure out what your running mechanics are. I need to look at your injury history. I need to try to understand how engaged you are in the sport. There's a lot of things that factor into the shoe selection process. And it's one of the really complicated things about running shoes. Yeah. And I think that's a great response. Sometimes saying there's no answer is an answer in itself. And um, yeah, I think that helps summarize a lot of what we've talked about today. Uh, As we wrap up, Simon, thanks again for coming on. It does seem like you are still bringing out content on a regular basis. Is there any platforms or if there's any websites uh, people can be drawn to you if they want to learn more information and read a lot of your content? Yeah, sure. I mean, our, our website is, um, is just called bartoldclinical.com. So B-A-R-T-O-L-D clinical one word.com. It's a members, it's a members um, registration website. In other words, you have to pay for all the content, but there's a lot of free stuff on there. So there's an open access area that, that you guys can go to and there's always tons of stuff in there. There's videos and, and lots of stuff. Or you can just get on our any of our social media accounts, either on Instagram, Twitter or um, uh, Facebook. And, of course, that's all free content and we talk about stuff and post stuff on a daily basis. So you can you can get stuck into a lot of different stuff there if you're interested. Um, yeah, so that's they're the main platforms and uh, there's always stuff of interest. We're very running we're very running focused. Uh, so whilst we do talk about other sports as well, we uh, we have a strong focus on running. Great. And um, before we started recording, you said you've settled back down in Adelaide. And is there anything exciting career-wise on the horizon? Oh, it's always exciting, mate. I'm um, I'm in the process of writing. We we have a uh, we have a platform that's uh, called Bartold Gold, and it's like a um, it's like a university course. So the first one we did was on uh, musculoskeletal injuries, so shin pain, knee pain, Achilles pain, and heel pain. And I'm in the process of writing a brand new course, which um, you know it'll probably take me until the end of September, working 40 hour weeks to finish it off. They're big jobs, but I really like that stuff because. Um, 
you know, I have to research all the current information. So I like uh, I like discovering new things about the way particular injuries are treated. So that's good fun. But yeah, there's always stuff going on. I, you know, I, I'm I'm really enjoying the consultancy to the industry. So I'm working currently on some netball, very exciting netball shoes, and we're just about to launch a field hockey specialist field hockey shoe. So my my dance card's pretty full, you might say. There's lots going on. Yeah, as a um, past member of your online course, I highly recommend it. And your um, the certificate, the completion certificate, is um, on my wall in my office as we speak. <laughs> and I'm very proud of um, uh, the, all the content that you do deliver. And so we're going to finish up there, Simon. There. I might just, I might just interrupt there and say that you're one of only four people who have that certificate. By the way, everybody else has failed the course. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's um, <laughs> the the exam itself is um, yeah pretty content heavy and uh and i was very happy to to complete it and yeah it's a, it's a real honor it's uh i just try my best to delve into like all different disciplines as much as i can and doesn't just necessarily have to be targeted towards all physio stuff so as soon as i saw a podiatry online course that's suited for runners i'm like this is right up my alley i need to learn more about this so um yeah if anyone else uh wants to check that out i highly recommend it uh, Simon, thanks for coming on, sharing this uh, really interesting topic. I think with the recreational runners that mainly listen to this podcast, it's a, it's really nice to get someone like you to come on, share your expertise, and everyone wants to perform better. Everyone wants to get a better, a better marathon time, and um, I think we've helped help shed some light on this topic. So yeah, once again, thanks for coming on. Uh, my absolute pleasure. I hope people have enjoyed it, um, and yeah, by all means, if uh, Anybody has any questions, you can forward them to me, Brody. I'll do my best to help. If you are struggling to overcome an injury, you can jump on a free 20-minute injury chat with me, which you can book through my calendar in the show notes. While you're in the show notes, elevate your running IQ by jumping onto my free email list so you can receive material to help rehab your injury, lower your injury risk, and increase your performance. If emails aren't for you, consider my Facebook group, Instagram, and YouTube channels. And remember, each insight you get from these resources brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. Mm -hmm.